Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everyone, welcome to Group Text. I love my guest today. It's someone I'm lucky enough to know. Dave Coulier, been making his laugh since 1987 on Full House. I would be here all day if I tried to list all the credits, but new show, Dave is back, comedy series called Live and Local, which will be streaming on Pure Flicks. You'll get a new episode every week. Welcome, Dave. Hi, Melissa. How are you? I'm good. You know, last time you and I saw each other was at Bob Saget's Memorial, so it's a much happier time that we get to chat now yes we'll sure. get to all that because that was quite a quite a moment for a lot of people yes and and uh i'll uh i'll tell you how i met bob whenever you'd like uh but it was it was crushing yeah it really was a heart it was a heart punch that i was not ready for no and and we will get into that but i want to Talk about your new show first. So everyone's happy and we get all that out. (laughs) (laughs) So we don't have to try and pivot from, you know, weeping into, so tell me about your new show. (laughs) It's always, (laughs) so I'm going to get that out in the beginning. First of all, 40 years in the business. How is that possible? Uh, 44, 44, actually. I was trying to make you younger, just so you know. (laughs) <laughs> uh, 44 years. I started when I was 18 as a, uh, a young stand-up comic here in Michigan. And, uh, you know, I was just, uh, trying to be funny and, who, and, uh, go ahead. I say, who was the first person you ever made laugh? Well, we have to go way back for that because I, uh, I got kicked out of, uh, first day of kindergarten <laughs> thinking, I could make other kids laugh. And I'll tell you the quick story. So I go to kindergarten, Beachwood Elementary, and I had discovered uh, when I was about five years old, I had seven uncles. And uh, my joke is that I pulled more fingers than an orthopedic surgeon. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, there were constant fart jokes in my family with all the uncles. And I played hockey as a kid. So it was always just a funny, you know, flatulence was funny. So my first day of kindergarten, the girls bathroom is right next to the boys bathroom in the kindergarten class. And there's no ceiling, uh, you know, on the bathrooms. So Christy Johnson, who was the cutest girl in kindergarten, I thought I'm going to be really clever and make her laugh and then she'll like me. So she went into the bathroom. I (laughs) went into the boys bathroom. And I climbed up and and she was going to the bathroom and I started making fart sounds thinking, oh, she's going to think I'm just the greatest. So funny. Well, the teacher saw me standing on top of of the boys room and said, get down here. What are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm just making Christy laugh. And she says, that's not funny. I'm calling your mother. So my mom had to come and pick me up first day of kindergarten. 
and uh, take me home. My mom hated telling that story because I thought it was a really funny story. It's hilarious. (laughs) You know, and my brother, Dan, taught me how to do voices and we had bunk beds. So we would lay in our bunk beds late at night and do impressions of family members. My brother taught me how to do impressions. And he was so dead on with doing aunts and uncles and people in our neighborhood. We would laugh so hard. And my dad would run in in the middle of the night and go, you, if you two don't stop it, I'm so tired of hearing uncle Vince and Mr. Hooper in here, (laughs) knock it off both of you. So that, so I had very humble beginnings with making people laugh. Yeah. I found some of my mom's old, um, uh, report cards from (laughs) that age. And it was more about, she, uh, she needs to work on not being so bossy. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i always got it back then you you got an unsatisfactory it was a you and if you got a you in conduct it was just like you're you had to go home and explain it to your parents it was and i got a you in conduct like every year it was it was u s and s plus ah oh yeah yeah. i didn't get too many pluses i have to admit neither did (laughs) any of us um do you remember the uh you and i talked about one of the first jokes you ever sold it was actually the first joke i sold gary shandling was a dear friend of mine we were very close buddies and gary was touring with joan and so gary would open the show and joan would headline of course and they became very good friends i know they really they really adored each other and so i used to write with gary quite a bit i went with gary to his first eight tonight show appearances and every time he'd go, Dave, was that funny? Yeah, I don't even you? know anymore. And then how's how, my hair? hair. Yeah. I got something up my ass. I swear I got something up my ass, Dave. And and so um, I said, Gary, I wrote a joke. I think it might be perfect for Joan because she was hosting the Tonight Show back then. And so he said, what's the joke? And I said, the joke is, you know, you're getting older when your bra size is a 36 long. <laughs> And he goes, I'm giving that to Joan. That's a funny joke. He goes, I'll get you paid. And I think it was $75, I think was kind of the going rate. And I was so proud that I sold Joan Rivers a joke and she did it on The Tonight Show. And I remember watching just thinking, wow, the possibilities are endless. And you know what? I feel bad because I look back. I wish I had that check, but back then I needed the $75 and I cashed it. And I was thinking, I wish I still had that check because I would put that in a frame. There you go. So you bring up Gary. And obviously I knew Gary very, very well because of all the time spent with him on the road and this and that and the other. And one of my parents, I don't know if I figured it out on my own or if they prompted me. Every single night, and I was, what, seven, eight, um, I would tell, ask Gary, say, Gary, how's, you know, your hair? And just, like, glance at it. And it would set him oh, off. Yeah, like the worst thing you could say to him, yeah. right? But as a little yeah. kid, Gary, your hair. <laughs> My parents, I mean, <laughs> literally falling down. So your new show, Live and Local, Really interesting format. You play a conservative Christian radio host 
but your interviews are with real celebrities while in character. Do I have that right? You do. And the interesting part, part about why I decided to, to do this role and, and to take on this show, because I'm an, I'm an EP on the show as well. I had a very interesting conversation with the, uh, the show's creator, Dan Merchant. And he said, Dave, there's really no one else on this list for this character. It's you. I think you can play this, this host. And I said, well, the host is kind of a curmudgeon, isn't he? He said, yeah, but I think you can pull that off. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> I yes, said, perfect. Okay, <laughs> great, perfect. All right. You see something in me, I guess, that's there. So um, I said, the second thing is this is a faith-based streamer from a faith, Pure Flix, from a faith-based studio, Sony Affirm. And I said, is the faith-based stuff going to get in the way of the comedy? Because if it does, I'm not interested. And he said, not at all. It's going to enhance what we what we do. And it turned out to be that that was the truth. It actually kind of is enhances it in a way where we don't make fun of faith-based. I'm all about someone having faith, you know? I just don't want the show to start with, we pan down with a somber picture of Jesus. <laughs> we see we see our host praying. Because said, that's I'm a setup. That that's a great setup for for comedy in general. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, yeah. That brings them so in said, energized. So I said, look, I will I will do funny. I said, but I don't want, you know, if people want that, they can go to church on Sunday and get that. I don't want to be preachy with what we're doing. So it turned out that they just kind of gave me a green light to be funny. And the the faith-based stuff is kind of acting in the background. So how do you pitch this to celebrities? I that cannot be an I, easy pitch. Uh, you know, uh, me, how I'm pitching it to celebs, mm-hmm. uh, like talk shows and stuff. No, I say no, it, like to be on the show. Oh, um, our, uh, our celebs, most of them are, are very faith-based entertainers. Uh, John Cooper, who tours with Metallica, uh, is really badass. Yeah. His wife's yeah. in the band, uh, uh Skillet. And like they are hard rock and rollers. So he was all for it, but he uh, he's the real deal. His wife tours with him. His kids tour with him. Not that that's, you know, anything exceptional for any rock and rollers, but but he's also faith based. He's got a hardcore faith based element in his life. And he really uh, he really walks the walk. So I was really impressed with him. And uh, Leanne Morgan is a very funny comedian from the you know south and she talks about her family and her kids and it's uh you know it's you're not sitting there going oh boy when are they going to stop with the prayers you know it's while she's really funny and she's just organic and she happens to have you know a faith-based element in her life so for both of those people uh it was just a live interview and as you know Mm -hmm. a live interview can go one of a million different directions so that was the cool part about it for me was that these improv, you know, the, the whole show had these improvisational moments where we just got to fly. How do you keep from getting edgy? I 
think I've been involved in family shows throughout my entire career. My first show I had was on Nickelodeon called Out of Control. And that was, uh, you know, it's Nickelodeon. And then, you know, I've done a zillion cartoon voices, which is all family programming, mm-hmm. Scooby-Doo, uh, um, the Muppet Babies, real Ghostbusters, Full House, which doesn't get any more family than that, right. Fuller House. I've hosted America's Funniest People, World's Funniest Videos, both on ABC. And that's, you know, and I was a Tonight Show comic. And as you know, there was one place for comics back in the day, and yeah. it was the Tonight Show. And so Leno said something very important to me. I was 20 years old and he saw my set at the original room at the comedy store. And he came up to me afterwards and goes, hey, Coulier, I saw you set. He said, uh, you know, if you work clean like that, you'll work everywhere because you never have to edit. And I thought about that and I said, damn it, that is, that's the truth. If I just kind of just think funny without, you know, throwing F-bombs, uh, I'll never have to select what material I have to use. It was the smartest thing anybody ever said to me. So, so for me, I've been in that world a lot, but you know, I was friends with Saget and Shandling who were two of the filthiest MFers in the you world. Can, you can say, you know? but that's what I was going to say. Bob, who was America's Funniest Home Videos and Full House was all it, off the charts, edgy yeah. and yeah. hilarious. Yeah, so, you know you're and and one of the things at the memorial that we were by that was people telling the story about that he was constantly apologizing to the kids <laughs> on the show's parents for yeah. stuff that he would say yeah. when you weren't rolling. Yeah. Oh, it was all. It was me, John, and Bob got caught. I mean, we had our pants off. It was just, it was ridiculous because we would get bored having to wait around, waiting for the kids to get out of class and, or whatever. The Olsen twins needed a gummy bear, whatever it was, <laughs> you know, it, we would get bored and we would start horsing around and, and Bob and I were ridiculous. I mean, we were filthy, filthy, dirty, and the moms would be watching on the monitors <laughs> within the kids rooms and they'd come out and go really guys seriously like your pants are off like <laughs> the kids see you and we're like we'll turn off the monitors yeah. and they're like no they enjoy watching the show <laughs> i'm like well we can't win here yeah we can't win yeah. bob always loved the fact that i introduced him as my filthy jewish sister <laughs> he loved I, that i so let's go back to the beginning of full house was there chemistry how many chemistry tests were there between you john and bob well that's a really interesting question john and i hit it off immediately and we were um cast together and so we were looking for the father and so we had to audition with several actors for the danny tanner role and we couldn't find anybody and then we finally found an actor named john posey uh, we shot the pilot with John Posey. He was cast. And then Bob got fired from the CBS morning program. And Jeff Franklin called me and Stamos and said, hey, uh, I'd like you guys to do a screen test for ABC with Bob Saget. And I'm like, well, what for? We already shot the pilot. He goes, I just I have a hunch. 
So John, Bob, and I uh, did a screen test together. ABC loved it. They fired John Posey, hired Bob. We had to go back in and rebuild all our sets. And that was about a million bucks. And the only reason we were able to do that, Melissa, was because we had uh, Bob Boyette and Tom Miller, who were the kingpins of sitcom in television at the time. So because of Tom Miller and Bob Boyette, we were able to uh, put that deal together to, to rebuild the sets, plug Bob into all the scenes that the previous father actor was in and reshoot everything. So it was really strange when Bob showed up and he goes, Dave, what if we end up on a show together? How weird would that be? Because I'd known Bob since I was 18. Right. On so the we comedy were, we were just buds. Yeah, we were just no name comics, you know? So, so it was amazing that Bob and I being so close, like brothers close, would end up on this show where I, Joey Gladstone moves into Danny Tanner's house and sleeps on the couch because I slept on Saget's couch in Palms, you know, his <laughs> crappy little shitty little apartment in Palms. So uh, it was weird having art imitate life. Yeah. And was the chemistry there immediately? Immediately. Melissa, you cannot have the kind of chemistry uh you can't manufacture the kind of chemistry we had as that full house core right as we became a real family off camera it's insane you saw us all at jeff franklin's house it's ridiculous it, it was and it was beyond moving with everybody showing up including ashley and mary kate flying in to yeah. to be there and the warmth that was in that room was extraordinary, extraordinary. And I think about the fact that you guys carried Friday nights on ABC on your backs. We did. We did. And, and normally Friday nights traditionally had been kind of the death knell for television. When you got moved to a Friday, you're like, Oh, well it's, we're done. We're done. We're done. done. It's over. Yeah. So we, um, another reason why full house became a success was because of Tom Miller and Bob Boyette. They, uh, said to ABC, look in back when we had summer reruns, remember those summer reruns. Remember when they would order 26 episodes? Yes, I do. Yeah. Crazy. And so Tom Miller, Bob Boyette went to ABC and they said, Hey, during summer reruns, why don't you put us on at eight o'clock on Tuesday night in the who's the boss slot, which was pulling huge numbers. Huge. So they did. We got huge numbers and then they moved us back to Friday night and we pulled huge numbers. Melissa, we were getting 30 shares on Friday nights with 24 million viewers, and which was people, unheard of. But it was, and to explain to people who don't know, have a clue what we're talking about with shares when there were really only three networks, you would wait for what was called the overnights. And it was the share of the audience and the number. And I mean, I remember things like the Super Bowl would get 35s and you guys were getting 30s, which was on Friday night on Friday nights, which was unheard of. Yeah. Were, Were you prepared for that? sort of, I mean, I know everyone's like overnight success doesn't really happen. 
were you guys prepared for the the cannon you were shot out of fame wise? That's so funny. It's so funny that you just said cannon because I was going to say, Melissa, it was like being shot out of a cannon. It was crazy. And it, it happened in the second season. And a couple of things happened. We didn't know where we were going as far as what the arc of the series was. Right. And uh, Tom Miller, Bob Boyette, and Jeff Franklin said, look, we're a family show. It's not about three men and a baby. It's not three guys raising three little girls. We're a family. And families come in all different kinds of shapes and sizes. And, and, and so you guys are a family. And once that clicked, uh, something happened, not only internally, but I think with, with audiences as well. Do you think it was, it, it was sort of that they were seeing themselves in a lot of ways in the different characters? Well, I always said that there was something for everybody in Full House. You had the great looking guy, John Stamos, who was, you know, this rock and roller, great looking guy, every girl's fantasy boy, you know. Uh, you had the funny guy and then you had the caring father. And I think that with our kids, you know, we're somewhat precocious. You know, you kind of have to be in a sitcom. But we also tackled a lot of issues that sitcoms weren't traditionally tackling. Right. We talked about, you know, DJ's first menstrual cycle. We talked about drinking in school. We talked about drugs. We had a lot of um, different races on the show. So, you know, uh, uh, Stephanie's character had a, a, an Asian friend, Harry, and she had an African-American friend. And so... So it was really kind of, you know, we were breaking ground in a lot of ways that sitcoms hadn't hadn't really touched before as a as a traditional family sitcom would. So um, so it was a really interesting journey. We were just trying to do the best shows we could. And boom, it, it fortunately for us, it happened to work out very well. Do you remember the first time someone came up to you like in an airport and said, Oh my God, can I have your autograph? <laughs> yes. And I, uh, normally I would get recognized because I palled around with Stamos who had already been on general hospital right. and he had done a show with Jack Klugman. So he was already known. And so this was the first time I was in New York. We were doing the upfronts and I was just walking down the street and a group of five people passed me and then turned around and they go, Hey, and I thought, Oh no, I'm about to be mugged. <laughs> and so uh, I turned around and they go, we think you're really funny. And I said, Oh, did you see me at Caroline's? And they're like, <laughs> what? It, it didn't even compute in my head, Melissa. It was just, you know, talk about being shot out of a cannon. It, at that moment, it was just this, wow, that's the power of television right there. And, and I remember it, it resonated very clearly with me of, ooh, people in New York. I, I'm not in L.A. I'm not at, in Michigan. I'm, I'm in New York, someplace that I'm not, a, you know, I'm not there very much. And here were just some strangers. Boom. And uh, I remember that moment very clearly. Is it funny what sticks in your head? Yes. Yeah. I've got a lot of weird stuff oh. in my head that sticks. Yeah. Uh, which brings me back to the to, to Bob. What a special human being. 
how blessed I was to know him and adore him and have memories with him. But when you guys went back in 2016 when Full House was re- rebooted and the whole band sort of got back together, how quickly did you guys fall into it? Because you and Bob remained close. Uh, John and you remained close. You guys stayed this this pack. Yeah. So how quickly did you guys, especially with the kids coming back, fall into character and not bring your personal relationship, meaning the edgy relationship, into it? It was as no time had passed. All the stupid bits we used to do, the stupid little songs, the stuff about the prop guy, the, you know, uh, it, Every joke that we had done, there was something magical about, we ended up back on stage 24 at Warner Brothers where we shot the original show, which was mind boggling just to have the set be available, that stage available. And it was like, they say you can't go home again. You can never go home. It's like, we got to go back home again. And it was the weirdest feeling like, wait a second, that was my dressing room right there. And Matthew Perry when friends was here at my dressing room, like how weird is this right now? So everything clicked right back in all the funny little, I mean, and Bob and I were the worst because we had so many bits. Now that the, the kids were grown up and adults were like, they're going, we never knew what that was. <laughs> it's like, well, it was a bum with his pants off. That's what it was supposed to be. And they're like, we never knew it was a bum with his pants off. I'm like, well, it was a bum with his pants off. Yeah. Congratulations. I'm glad I've ruined your childhood memories <laughs> in one fell swoop. Right. Uh, it's like, it was, it, it, and I go back to Bob. It, you texted him the night before. I am, day of. Day of. And I unfortunately know what it's like to go to sleep with everything intact and wake up with everything in shambles. How did I hate to ask this question, but I'm going to. How did you find out? John Stamos called me. And I didn't even know how to react. And and when John calls and I see his number come up, I see his name on my phone. I'm already thinking of what stupid thing can I say to him to make him laugh? Right. And I started goofing around and he goes, Dave, 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 Bob's dead. And I didn't know how to answer. I didn't, of course I knew Bob, but there was only one Bob. And I just said, what do you, what do you mean? What, what's going on? And uh, he said, he died in his hotel room. I said, I, I was texting him like, what, what happened? And I just wanted to know what happened. How can this be? And I just, I just started crying. I could not stop. I couldn't control crying. It was just like gushing emotion of like, how could I, you know, how could I, how could I have lost someone I love so much? You know, I, remember finding out about my father and going cold. And the same thing when I found out that with my mother, that there had been an, an accident. And I just remember my entire body 
going cold and I it was with her assistant and I hung up and she said you're we there's a problem your mother stopped breathing she's breathing now but we're on our way to the hospital and I had no idea what was happening and my second call and I don't mean this I'm not slamming them was from TMZ hmm. and they asked me if I knew what was happening and I said no and they told me what they had heard over the scanners. Wow. And I, 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 they, I, they knew I had no idea what was happening. And they said, I, you know, I said, I don't know. I don't. And I said, what? They actually said, what can we do? And I said, find a way to help me get to New York. Hmm. Yeah, just those moments change your life. Yeah. Uh, you know, who, how, I don't know how it happens, but I can, I can transfer myself in that moment. I mean, just telling you, I mean, like tears are flowing, you know, like, like I want to cry, you know, because it's such, you know, I think it leaves an imprint on you physically and mentally that you're never going to shed. It's, it's inside us. And I, and it's there forever now. And it's just going to always have that trigger response when you, you know, start talking about it. And it's, uh, boy, nobody gets away free, you know, and, and it's, it's hard. That cycle of life is really, really hard when you truly love someone. Uh, and that gets ripped away from you like that. Yeah. Well, you know, death and taxes. It's a reason it's a cliche. Right. Right. I know you and I have, since we're on this happy topic, you and I have another <laughs> crappy thing in common. You can't make jokes right when I <laughs> a sip like that. <laughs> you and I have something else really shitty in common, which I did not know. We both have lost a relative to suicide. Yeah. Yeah. This past year was a tough year. Yeah. Um, you had the shit beaten out of you. I did. I did. And, and I lost my brother. Uh, my brother was, had moved in with my dad and was helping my dad who was 90 and, uh, in the house where I was born. And my dad called me and said, I haven't heard from Dan since this morning. He made me breakfast and can you just come over and check on him? And I went over there and I found my brother. he had killed himself down the basement at the house where, you know, I lived as a kid and, uh, you know, to try and, um, be the pillar of my family at that moment, because my dad broke down, I called my wife and my sister, Karen, they rushed over and to try and be strong at that moment was just a real, a real test. It was like, how do I, my dad's breaking down. Like my dad's always been my strength. How do I, how do I hold him and, and, and tell him I love him and, and, and try and find some reasonable feeling to give to him where it makes it okay in some way. And it wasn't okay, you know? Um, so we do have that in common. Happy, and happy, joy, you, joy. Right. And until you talk to someone who has shared that kind of moment, it's, it, you know, it's, um, you, you don't know what that feeling is like. 
and I always say grief is grief. But with suicide, there's the added layer of what I used to call the what ifs and the if onlys. Right. And I found the important, the most important thing for me was not to get mired in that. And it's really hard not to. It's not because you, you take responsibility for it automatically. Yeah. And, And you feel as though, what could I possibly have done differently to alter this? Or what, well, what, what, what's, what did I miss? Right. Right. Was I, was I not paying attention? Was I not giving them the love that would have maybe put them on a different track? I mean, there's so many questions, you know, and what I realize is I loved my brother so much. He was the funniest person I ever knew. And I tried, you know, so I had to make peace with the fact that he was gone. I did not have to make peace with the fact that I never tried because I did try for him. Every day was, you know, living was way tougher than dying. So so I had to accept that. It took me and I was 18. It took me about a, quite a bit of time, I say about a year, to be able to say I had to respect my father in life so I have no choice but to respect his choice in death, which eventually mm-hmm. morphed into I can honestly say I loved my father. I don't like what he did and it was really shitty, but it doesn't negate that I loved him. Right. Right. And, and that's kind of best case scenario. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then you're yeah. still kind of dragging one foot in. Well, what, what if, well, you know, that's always going to be there. It's, you know, it, it's um, like I said, it really becomes a part of you when it, when it happens. So I, uh, man, Want to talk about comedy now? I do. I was going to say, that's why I was like, this is a rough pivot, but I, I didn't know that about your brother. And I was just like, wow. Cause you know, yeah, we're out there. Yeah. It was tough. Yeah. I, I kind of had the hat trick of heart punches, uh, my brother and then Bob and then my dad a couple months after Bob, but I lost other people during that same year, uh, close friends that, uh, y- you know, just like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, like, you know, you're just looking like, okay, greater power. Uh, what the fuck are you doing to me right now? You know, like, are you kidding me? I, I always and think so, to, I was gonna say, I always think to myself, what lesson is the universe trying to teach me that I'm not getting? And this is getting a right. little extreme to get my attention. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, you know, I, I, uh, I got sober two and a half years ago and I thought, Okay. That's the reason. That's the reason why I can't be boozing right now. This is the uh, task because of this moment. Uh, Yeah. It's because of this moment to put it in in hockey parlance. uh, Basically you had the Stanley cup of death. (laughs) I did. Yeah, I did, man. And that series went seven games, you know, it wasn't a short, you know, it wasn't a sweep. Yeah. 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 It was, it was really tough. It really tested who, who I am. And 
in so many ways, I learned things about myself that I never knew before Okay, and because alcohol was, you know, covering up all those layers. Well, so everything after alcohol, after I quit, everything percolated to the top. And I'm like, wow, this is really raw. I've never felt anything quite like this before. Well, congratulations on getting through it. That, that two years over, that's a slog. Thanks. That's hard. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, it, you know, and I don't want to make light of getting sober because a lot of people really, really struggle with that, you know? And, and, uh, the reason I talk about it is like, Hey, look, you know, I have a very simple operating system. I always equated booze with, Hey, it's a fun time. Uh, and it got to be where, uh, diminishing returns where it wasn't fun anymore. And so, you know, I tell my story and, and if somebody can see themselves in me and I can help someone, then, then, you know, it's good. Well, let's talk about something more interesting to others <laughs> okay. or more All fun right. for us. Um, <laughs> okay, people don't know how many varied interests are and you're a pilot and a contractor. So clearly not Jewish. Um, how did, how did, <laughs> how did you, my yeah. grandmother, my grandmother was a Jew though, Charlotte Hanstein on my father's side. Okay. So then I don't and understand she, the pilot contractor thing even less now. Okay. These are not uh, things you know, Jews do. She, she, well, you know, I grew up, I, you know, uh, Catholic and my grandmother was Jewish, but she was my best audience. I would go to her with, when I was a teenager with stand up jokes, I'd say, Hey grandma, what do you think? She goes, ah, you know, you need a, you need a, I go a tag. <laughs> Is that what you call it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Grandma, I'll tag it. I'll tag it. But she knew that I needed a tag. She just didn't know the term tag. Right. But she was a great, she was a great sounding board for me when I first started. So yeah, I have a lot of interests. So I also read that your son is becoming a pilot. He's uh, a captain at FedEx. Now, did you teach him how to fly? I didn't teach him how to fly, but when he was a year and a half, I used to put him in his car seat in my airplane and we would go and fly around. So he had been in airplanes with me since he was a baby. Oh, good idea. Not teaching him to fly because teaching your child to drive is takes years off your life. <laughs> True. But you're, you have to realize you're much safer in an airplane than you are in a car. And I could bore you with statistics, which I won't, but I always tell people, if you're scared of flying, don't drive to the airport. It's true. Because that's that's where you're going to bite it. Yeah, I still wouldn't want to teach my child how to fly because texting and flying. I mean, we even have trouble remembering not to text and drive. <laughs> this whole next generation is going to be texting and flying. It's going to be all bad. <laughs> Sorry, I'm checking my Instagram during, you know, during landing. I'm making a crazy TikTok video up here in the cockpit. I'm yeah. checking to see if they DM'd me. You know, that's all we need. Um, so you're back in Michigan. What brought you home? I got tired of LA life. I really, um, yearned for simplicity. I wanted to get a lot more for our money and I love the water. I love the great lakes. It's like the Mediterranean of the Midwest. It is so beautiful here in the summertime. People don't know. And we how, live here on the water. Yeah, people don't know how beautiful 
parts of Michigan are, you know, Mackinac Island. I mean, all of it. Yeah. I mean, we're going up to Mackinac Island in a couple of weeks. My wife, Melissa, I married a Melissa. Yes. And I met your Melissa. Yes. Yes. And uh, she really liked you. She goes, oh, she has a nice energy about her. Oh, and I liked her. Oh, thanks. Thanks. She's she's likable. She is. Um, She's a Montana girl. I mean, she raced moto motocross. She taught me how to fly fish. She, you know, she's salt of the earth. Great girl. Uh, where were we? Um, that you're going, we were, that you're uh, on the lake. What brought you home yeah. to Michigan? Yeah. And I, um, I've always wanted to build a house. And so we found this insane, uh, lakefront property. It's five acres, which is unheard of here. And it had been sitting dormant since 1980. And the woman who had lived there last was an Auschwitz survivor. Wow. And her home got thrown into the lake from a tornado way back in the day. And so she was kind of squatting on her own property and she had dementia and, and um, she didn't have a toilet. So she had someone build an outhouse and she just was, so they eventually had to, you know, remove her from the property because uh, they condemned it. So it had been sitting dormant since 1980. And I thought, let's, let's, you know, we ended up buying it. It was a mess. And so it took us about six months to clear it. We had to bring in 7,200 yards of dirt. Um, and so we, uh, we fell in love with this place and then we designed the home with our architects. And then I decided, you know, I've been talking to all these general contractors and they all seem a little nutty, but one thing in common is they want to charge me up the ass. Yeah. I said, I'm going to go to contractor school. I want to learn what the magic formula is. There's really no magic formula. It's just tenacity with paperwork is what it should be called because there are so much paperwork between contracts, dealing with municipalities, the utility companies, the architects, permits. It's ridiculous, you know? So, so I've got that down. We break ground next week. I was going to say, who do you yell at? If you can't yell well, at your contractor, <laughs> who are you going to yell at? Who are you going to say? What do, have you, to... what do you mean we didn't pass inspection? <laughs> I might have to fire myself. Exactly. So that, day, that day may come. Uh, you know what? I, I'm a director and I've had to direct myself on Fuller House, you know, so my joke is, you know, I might have to fire myself. So it's kind of the same. It's very much like being a director. You have to wear so many different hats. You have to be able to stay calm under fire. You have to be able to conduct the entire orchestra. And, you know, the, the script is kind of like what the plans are building a house. You really have to stick to the script. And so, so for me, uh, I, it's kind of plug and play. Cause I love building and, uh, you know, when I, in my free time, I build furniture and I build, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I love doing that. I love being creative with my hands and, and building stuff. So, so for me, yeah, it's, it's insane, but I just, I love it. I own a tractor. I have a tractor. I was going to say, are and, you living it, out the boyhood yeah. fantasy of having a tractor and absolutely an earth, and an yeah. earth mover? Absolutely. Yeah. I have a, and uh, yeah, I have all that stuff. I have a backhoe and a loader and, you know, uh, you know, pallet forks and all that stuff. 
I just, I love it. It is, it is, uh, it's that moment of Zen for me when I can go and just kind of make things look beautiful. I can't wait to talk to you a year from now when you're like, what was I thinking? My when wife, I'm bald. And my wife <laughs> hates me and I didn't get, and this didn't show up and that didn't show uh, up. Just shoot me now. Why didn't someone stop me? I know. I'm excited and terrified at the same time. I really am. Now, uh, this is going to sound really odd. And I think a lot of people think this. You're so nice. I thought you were Canadian. All these my mom, years. My, my mom is from Canada. Okay. My grandparents okay. were, my mom's side of the family is all from Bathurst, New Brunswick. And they're just charming people. They're just so respectful. And, you know, they, they'll listen to somebody, even though they know they're wrong. You know, they're, they're those kind of people, you know, I mean, America would do well to have many, many more Canadians in it because I think we would get along better. Yeah, it's like, oh, he's so nice. He must be from Canada. He can't possibly be <laughs> from here. Well, I'm across the lake. Across the lake where we live is is Canada. There you go. It seeped in. What do you have next besides the show and a million other voiceovers and more characters and building your house? And apparently what I also read was going and living on your boat with your wife and your dogs, which only made me question how are you going to walk the dogs? Well, we're training them on a pee pad. How so, big are your dogs? Uh, How big? Uh, tiny. One is tiny. His name is uh, Ziggy and he's a Shih Tzu Pomeranian. He's a shit palm. And I say he's more shit than palm. Uh, he looks like a little Ewok. He's a, he's a funny little dog. And then Shorty is our rescue and he's a bunch of spare parts. You know, he's built like that dog and up the movie up. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, squirrel, you know, he's one of those dogs. But uh, we've been training them and taking them out on the boat every day, every time we can. And we, uh, you know, we have to spray like this, these pea chemicals on this little piece of artificial turf. And then we're like, okay, go. (laughs) And how's that going? uh, Well, it's, you know what? I got to, I got to share this story with you, Melissa. So, so the, the spray that we ordered where it's supposed to be like dog pee in a bottle Yep. Wasn't yep. working. So I said to Melissa, I said, you know what? What if I pee on it? Oh, God. I'm going to just try it. And she goes, don't, please don't. Please no, don't. You, no don't. just, just don't. Like, just knowing that you peed on this artificial <laughs> turf and are going to be bringing it on our boat, just please don't. So I went and did it. I didn't tell her I was doing it. I went and I did it. And Ziggy went over and sniffed and took a little pee on it. And I go, all right, I got to. She goes, it works. And I go, well, I have to, I have to tell you a little story. <laughs> I, I sprinkle a little of my own pee on there. She goes, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so, but it worked. Yeah. And what it about worked, Shorty? So Shorty doesn't want anything to do with it. I think he's like, ah, that's, that's, that's dad trying to trick me. I'm not, I'm not down for that. Well, I wish you the best but, of um, luck with that. Thanks. Because clearly it's going to be, it's a challenge. Well, we're going to be camping out with the boat. We're also going to be staying at some nice doggy hotels along the way. There's some beautiful stops. There's beaches, there's rivers, there's restaurants. Uh, It's, it's kind of like a four star plus trip on a boat. You know, it's like uh, uh, Shandling's joke, you know, Jews don't camp. We have it catered. Yeah. 
know, so, uh, so, you know, we're, it's kind of a little, it's kind of a bougie trip to be quite honest. But thank you for owning that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. We'll see how it goes. I'll report back. Like, Please. how'd your trip go? Uh, well, you know, once we, my, by the way, my mother tried that turf thing and taking the dog on a vacation on a boat. It did not go well. Yeah. It didn't. Spike wanted nothing to do with it. <laughs> nothing to do with I, it. I, yeah, I, I'm prepared. I'm prepared. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. It's all part of the all part of the deal, right? I'm frightened to ask this next question, which is what's next and what else? I started my own company called Grilled Cheese Media. Okay. And we, uh, we sold a show. We partnered with a huge company in France, but they're in the U.S. now. Um, headed up by my good friend, Karen Miller, who was a producer on Full House mm -hmm. and then became a Disney exec. So she's running their North American division. So we partnered with Cyber Group and we created a show, uh, an animated series called Yum Yum. So we're uh, quickly putting, you know, all of the meat on the bones for that. And then um, I think it could be pretty interesting uh, with Pure Flix and Sony Affirm. Um, there may be some shows to create and some movies, um, that I've written. I've got four movies that I've written and, and my managers are like, well, why didn't you tell us? I'm like, I don't know. Cause I just, I sit in my comedy laboratory and crank stuff out. And I, I kind of like, oh, I guess I should try to sell these. So <laughs> hmm. I've got two, I've got two Christmas movies. One is called Santana Claus and it's about a Mexican who saves Christmas. It's hysterical. And then I've got another Christmas movie called Santa's Shrink. It's a week before Christmas and Santa has a complete nervous breakdown. And then I have another movie called Janet of the Apes. <laughs> and uh, that's, it's a funny movie about a little girl in, in uh, middle school who um, is, is born covered in hair. <laughs> so it's, it's a funny movie. I'll just say that. God, I yeah. love how your brain works. <laughs> so. So, so I've got stuff. I'm really kind of putting stand up on the shelf. Really? Why? Um, I'll tell you why. I did a tour last year of 24 U.S. Air Force bases, and it was right in the middle of COVID, and it was a real grind. And as you know, to be a great stand up, you've got to go out and work at being a great stand up. Yep. And so I have done a ton of college dates, tons. And you know, I, I just feel like everything I say now is a trigger word for Ugh. those audiences. Ugh. And I just don't want to hear, like, if I just say the words Middle Eastern in a story, I'll hear, ooh, ooh. And it's like, you got, that's a trigger word for, you don't even know the story I'm going to tell. It's a hysterical story with characters in it, but I can't do my voices because, you know, I'm being racist. If I do, I'm like, wait a minute, I've done these voices for 44 years. Are you kidding me? Now I can't, I can't do an impression of somebody that I'm not. And so it's kind of got me a little bummed out about the whole stand-up experience. I'm glad there are people like Bill Burr and Dave Chappelle in the world who are forging ahead that they just don't care. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that Netflix stood behind Chappelle 
and said, no, he's funny. And that's what Dave does. And we're standing behind that. But I just, um, we're in that world now where everything hurts somebody's feelings and they can cancel you. And I'm just like, eh, I'm not playing that game. I mean, can you imagine your mom and Don Rickles? I mean, come on. These generations are never going to have a Joan Rivers or a Don Rickles. Are you kidding me? Well, I always say, well, I would say, what I always say is people say, how would your mom handle it? And it took me a while to think about it. A, I would hope she would be grandfathered in like Chappelle to be able Mm -hmm. to be herself. And then it hit me in the middle of the night one night. She would say, so you know what joke I'm not allowed to tell anymore? And then tell it. I think that would be her workaround. Oh, God, now I'm not allowed to talk about this and then talk about it. Right. But you know how important stand up comedy is because it it strips away the social strata that exists where everyone's thinking it. But the comedian will go up on stage and say it. And the reason we laugh at it is because we are different and we are talking and sharing our differences. And when we can't talk about how we're different, when we just all want to be the same and every every kid gets a trophy that's really dangerous yeah. because yeah. once you strip away laughter, what the hell else have we got? My mom always used to say, you can't hate someone you laugh with. You cannot like them. You can disagree with them, yeah. but you can't hate them. Right, right. Because laughter is the commonality that binds us all together. Exactly. And I mean, she's, very, she's very wise for, for saying that. But I'm I'm encouraged when I see, you know, the Bill Burrs and the Dave yeah. Chappelle's yeah. and the Chris Rocks in the world and the and the and all the wonderful other comedians, Sarah and, and you know, just people who will will go up on a stage and say things that they have always said because they are funny. Funny is funny. Funny is funny. Funny is funny. Yeah, we just we can't take ourselves so seriously oh. like we're doing right now and and just like oh my feelings are hurt well that's life your feelings get hurt i'm sorry to tell you well people i say how could you bring back fashion police i'm like you can't you right. can't it would be totally impossible but you know right. funny is funny and again to quote my mother if hitler had had a tight six he would have been on the tonight show <laughs> 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 I, I was sitting next to Richard Lewis one time on a flight and we started talking and I just adored Richard. Oh, he I was so him. funny. He's just so funny. And I used to just love watching him do stand up. <laughs> and we started talking and we got on this whole Hitler riff where we were just laughing, you know, and it was so inappropriate. And I said, you know who I feel sorry for? He goes, who? I go, Hitler's brother, Phil, who was a stand-up. <laughs> and he gets the call from his from his agent. Hello, Phil. Your brother's killing all the Jews. Those are the theater owners, uh, the creatives, the writers. He's killing them all. You're killing me here, you know? <laughs> and so Phil can't tour anymore because Adolf ruined it for him. I like the fact yeah. that, that his brother was named Phil. Uh, in my latest book, I named... Eve's sister, Debbie. <laughs> Adam, Eve, and Eve's cunty sister, Debbie. Who Debbie. Debbie. <laughs> Debbie's. 
<laughs> oh man. Uh, well, so. Dave, I love you so much. I do want to have you back oh. to talk more in depth about comedy, but I would love, I would love to, I, uh, Jeff Daniels is a good friend of mine yes. and he lives here in Michigan and he's wonderfully, crazily talented. Oh, and he, uh, beyond. he, um, you know, he, I, that scene in newsroom where he gives that wonderful speech about America and it was written by Aaron Sorkin. So how can it not be brilliant? He won the Emmy award for yes. that. And yeah. I respect Jeff so much for not only as a human being for, but how amazingly talented he is. And so we went out, he and his wife went out with me and Melissa on our boat. And I told him some stories. He goes, Dave, you got to do a podcast. He goes, you've just told me six stories. And I said, Jeff, I don't think I'm that interesting. He goes, well, people don't know those stories. And I was just talking about prior and, you know, stuff that happened behind the scenes at the comedy store. He goes, you got to tell those stories. So I think I'm going to do a podcast. I started writing called The Open Cooler. This cooler has been my hockey nickname forever. And it's just like, let's open the cooler and see what's in it today. You know, so uh, I think I'm going to do that. I think that's awesome. And if you need a sidekick, there you go. Dave, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You are so sweet. I just love you. And, and my wife is correct. You know, when she said, I just love her energy. So, um, you know, anytime, Melissa. Media Production.